Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. So thankful you're here with us. We're continuing a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Four Priorities for Gospel Saturation. And uh, that, that those words might sound like big, you know, kind of million dollar words. But the idea of all this is that we would be the kind of church that's serious about the gospel and, and what it's doing and the impact it's going to have on our community and on our city and what that means for us individually. Also what it means for us as a church. We've talked over the last few weeks about being mobilized and being transformed. And this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of what it would look like to be the kind of people, the kind of church, the kind of Christian that is interested in working with other believers. And this word that we're going to use is this idea of collaboration. Now, I don't know. I think that's gotten to be kind of a popular word, at least in business and stuff. You might have heard this term and go, oh gosh, we had like a whole class on that at at, at work, and I'm like, I'm not down. I hope that as we dig into the Word of God, you'll see uh, how, how Christ has explained this and also how He lived it out and how His disciples have spread this forth. And so one of the definitions we've been kind of working off of for gospel saturation is this. It's the church owning the lostness of an identified people in a defined place, ensuring that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ where they live, learn, work, and play. Now that's a lot of places. That's If you really break it down where you find yourself every week, there's a lot of like different categories of people you might run into. Uh, sometimes it's family and some of your families need to, to see the gospel. Sometimes it's co-workers, sometimes it's in school. But this kind of defines different places that we can mentally think about, all right, is this circle, this, this group of people that I have some level of influence over, or at least some level of communication with, do they know anything about me? They, do they know what I stand for? Do they know the greatest news of all time that I've been given, or am I holding that back for some reason, and what would be those reasons? Jesus, He makes one clear command, and it's in a couple of places in Scripture. The one we've been giving you is actually not the Great Commission out of Matthew 28, but the one out of Mark 16, where Jesus says in verse 15, "...go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation." Now, here's the cool thing, is we're not alone in this. Not spiritually or physically, Spiritually, the Great Commission in Matthew says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in that whole spill. And then he goes on to say, and I, will be, and, and I will be with you always. How long? To the end of the age, which I interpret to mean until Christ comes again, until heaven, right church? So he's with us. His promised spirit is with us now. He is with us. And not just that, but physically. Do you know there's like, over 200 churches meeting right now. It's something we don't really ever think about. We often think competitively. And we don't mean to do it. It's not intentional, at least not for me. 
I don't mean to, to think that we're the only church doing church right. In fact, I'm pretty sure we mess up sometimes. <laughs> I know I do. Personally, I make mistakes, and so I'm not sure we get it right all the time. But we are trying our best to follow the Word of God, to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. But it's good news to know we're not alone spiritually or physically. And that even if we get the things right we've been talking about for two weeks, we're, we're not enough. And that's okay. Here's why. If, and I pray this occurs, if everybody seated in this room right now would experience a transformed life, that Christ Jesus is not only speaking but working in your life, you can see it, He's on the move, and you're following His lead. I pray that occurs for you. But even if every one of you in the room, there might be 40 to 50 adults right now, I want you to be aware of something. There's, if we're talking about Nash County alone, there's almost 100,000 people in this place. That's a pretty big pool. And the 50 of you could make a huge difference. But if we talk about what it would look like to work with fellow believers and other believers from other churches, and if we get that idea and really unpack it, we can make a huge dent. And the good news is that's exactly what Christ desires. In fact, His Word mentions this idea of co-laborers all the time. I don't know if, just think about this for a moment. How many times, if you've read your Bible a little bit, how many times the Apostle Paul, how many times some of the other apostles mention this idea of co-laborers in Christ? This is literally underneath the word collaborate, collaborate, co-labor. It means to work together. It's, here's cool. Here's a cool thing. This is a biblical word. So if business stole it, whatever, they can have it. But it's technically a biblical kind of word. And one definition, this is from some material from Christ together. It says, collaboration occurs when God's people partner with all the expressions of His church for the gospel saturation of a place. Now that's a place I want to live in. That is a dream world. That is a place that could happen at least to some degree if we'll get serious about co-laboring with believers in our town. Guess what? Our world is already competitive enough. Just, just look around for a moment. I mean, just, just try to watch the news. Even the news itself, which you would think news should just be, this thing happened. Okay, that would be cool. Wouldn't y'all like to find a news broadcast that said, and that's the way it was, like Walter Cronkite used to do. And that's the way it was, with no bias. Like, this is what the president said. Deal with that as you will. Rather than tell me what I should think about what was said. But that's not any news. Not conservative or on, on the, either side, right or left. They're both biased, okay? And we understand that. We come into just the news alone knowing we're not getting just the hard facts. Our world is divided even on how to deal with History, how to deal with information, how to deal with how we look, how we identify. We, we're divided on literally just about everything. Think of a topic, we're divided. And our world looks at the church and sees us divided too. And it's confusing because Christ has instructed that we would look different on this very thing. This would be the kind of thing that sets us apart. We're going to dig into that idea today. But just to give you a nugget of it right away, he says, they will know you are, you are my disciples. You will know, they will know you're my people by what? Your love for one another. 
And he's not just talking about a particular church or a particular body of believers. He's talking about all disciples everywhere. That will shock the world. The world expects division. It expects disunity. And yet when we unite, it would be a display of the gospel. I'm prayerful for that this morning. And if nothing else, I believe our church can be a part of something that will happen, I pray. I believe will happen in our community. And it starts perhaps in us individually. Aren't you tired of being a part of a divided people? I am. I'm ready to work together for something worth working for, and that's the gospel. There's no greater mission. I don't care what you do in life. Police, you're, you're, you work as a nurse, you work as a teacher. No matter what your field is, the great thing is we all have the same mission in common. Go and make disciples. That Christ Jesus is our number one. We share that in common. So let's dig in before I start preaching, before the word's even been read. All right, we're in the book of John today. And this is a piece of Scripture, I must admit, I've never really preached. I've read it countless times. But John chapter 17, and this is one of Jesus, what they call in fact, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And this is one of the recordings of one of the many prayers of Christ, but this is certainly one of His final prayers for believers. And it's, it's quite... It's quite lengthy how he's prayed here. I'm going to take just a bite of it. But what I pray you will recognize is how in Christ's prayer, he is praying that we would be one. And that our oneness would cause the world to believe. That when we co-labor in his name, it changes the world. And I believe we're going to see three reasons why Christ's prayer has called us to collaborate for the gospel. Let's dig in. We're in... John 17, verse 20, it'll be on your screens as well. It says this, and this is him praying, church. I do not ask for these only. He's been praying, just so you know, for his disciples who are there. And now he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's you and I. Centuries later, those who believe by the word of Christ through the disciples. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. Now, you're going to notice some things here that might look unusual in Scripture. First of all, there's a sense of repetition. And I would argue from from at least my perspective, and I, I understand that this is this is who I am as a human being and that, that Christ is both divine and human. 
But I get the impression that some of the ways I naturally pray are somewhat like Christ, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, that perhaps that's the Holy Spirit in me. Have you ever noticed, if, if you pray at all, or if you pray somewhat often, that when you're really serious in prayer, when you're, when you're really digging in, maybe to hear an answer from God, or you just, you're really, you're deep in it. Have you ever noticed that you'll sometimes pray something, perhaps out loud or in your mind, and, and you'll realize, okay, wait a minute, that was a little bit of a different thought than I've been thinking. And then you might repeat it. Like, I think, just bear with me for a moment. I think the Lord speaks to me sometimes through prayer. And it sounds like my words, but then I know I'm not that smart. Like, where did that come from? And I'll go, okay, that's definitely, those are marching orders. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I'll repeat them. I'll say, okay, I hear, I hear that's what I should be praying for. I need to be, like a recent one I was thinking about, you know, my, my kids, thinking about as a father what it looks like. And, and just this thought came to my mind that, Jonathan, you remember you've been like itching for a while to take your, your daughters out on like date nights and stuff. And I, and I had this thought some while ago and I never really followed through on it. And it just came to my mind again. I said, yeah, okay, I hear you, Lord, speaking. Like I need to, I need to spend more time with my girls and help them understand who they are in Christ Jesus and what love looks like and help prepare them for what a good man, and not that I'm a good man, but I'm trying to be, help prepare them for what that could look like in the future. Jonathan's not really that smart. Just so you know, that's really, you know, I'm more thinking about, okay, I'm hungry, I'm tired. I, I'm pretty basic. I mean, just be honest with you, I'm thinking about my needs a lot, but I see Jesus doing this here in a way, this, this thought of oneness. It's like it comes, it comes to him and he's praying about that and he just keeps kind of repeating it in different ways, kind of analyzing in it from different sides because this is really the heart. This is the nugget of what he's praying for in all of chapter 17, that our oneness, that if we would unite, we could change the world. And he says, he gives several that, so that statements. They'll, they'll believe, the world will know, the world will believe if the people will unite under the banner of the cross. This is his, this is his prayer, that the people, the church would co-labor. They would unite. You'll see this just in these few verses, and I could have taken a much larger bite to give you a ton of Christ's unifying prayer. But just... Just in our verses alone, the word one is in here four times. And he says, may they all be one, just as you and I are one, Father, that this, this idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we would share in that kind of oneness and that that would cause others to believe. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that's, that's kind of obvious. That what people really want is a place where they know they're loved. That what we really all kind of long for is a place to belong. What was that old, what's this show? Was it Cheers? A place where everybody knows your name or something? Yeah, that's right. I never really watched that. I was a little, little young, just putting that out there. But, um, I think it's actually a slightly bigger than that, though. Not just a place where everybody knows your name. We want a place where we know people love us, where we belong, where, where what we do matters where we can express our own love in this place, where we can use our gifts. and That's what the church is supposed to be. Where we're perfectly one, as he puts in verse 23. This is the idea of totally, perfectly, 
completely one. I'm convinced that we can only get to this in part um, because, you know, people, people are broken. People hurt people all the time. I do, I do hope you realize that a, a great majority of what I do uh, Monday through Friday, I kind of take it easy Saturday. I'll admit it. You know, I, I might mow my yard on Saturdays. So, yeah. Um, you, you get a day off to mow your yard, right? Is that okay? Okay, anyway. What I, what I majority do Monday through Friday is really not study so much. I do a little bit of that on Wednesday. I feel like most of the time I'm praying or spending time with people who hurt people. And I hurt people. So it's really interesting. But I'm a little better at helping you stop hurting people than I am at stopping to hurt people. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, but uh, that's, that's like every counselor everywhere. It's like, I'm really good at giving premarital counseling, right? I'm really bad at following it. I'm really bad. In fact, every time I go through premarital counseling again, it refreshes a bunch of things and I come home and I need to apologize. I'm like, all right, for 17 years, I'm still doing this wrong. I am sorry for that. I really, really want to change, but the old me dies slowly. We spend so much of our time, and I think it's important. It might be the most important work we're doing as believers is that we would learn to be one. That we would learn to love each other and not fake. Not just, okay, we're in the body together, so I have to love you. Like some of you do with your siblings, like, oh, we're blood, so I mean, we can't, but I, I really can't stand him. That's some of you with your relatives. I know there's all this darkness and pain in the past, and that's why you're where you are. But in the church, we have to kill that. It cannot exist here. We have to have genuine, as we talked last week, that love is genuine. And when a, a genuine love drives out evil, and it clings to what is good. Our unity and love for one another lends credibility to the gospel. Here's what I recited earlier. It's in the book of John chapter 13. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That means it's sacrificial. That means it's unconditional. That means it overlooks wrong because Jesus overlooked an incredible amount of wrong and still does so. That means forgiveness is unlimited. I know you are thinking about this kind of love and going, whoo, I don't know if I'm capable. Well, indeed you are not, but through the Holy Spirit you are. He goes on in verse 35, by this all people, what? All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What a great command. And it's true. People want to be a part of that kind of church that has genuine love. The resurrected Christ gave us the Spirit, sent us on mission. We have the same Spirit, the same mission. You know what I did today, church? I didn't even give you point one. Did y'all notice that? Who noticed? Yeah. I'm telling y'all, I was ready to preach. I didn't even want to give you the points. He sent us on the same mission if you missed it. I'm just realizing that. Same mission. Same mission. Y'all got it? Same mission. Yeah. <laughs> This argument, this argument here, this verse argues for the idea that the same Spirit in us causes the same mission for us. And that is John chapter 20, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And I'm sending you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That means not only do we have the same mission together as believers, we have the same mission as Jesus. That the kingdom of God is now. That God is changing hearts right now. That the gospel is relevant in this very moment and will be until He returns. Same mission. Now this word collaborate, in, in the Greek, co-labor, we see that appear all over the place. and it's, In the Greek, it's the word sunergoi. That's a cool word. You can try to learn that if you want. It probably sounds a little bit like synergy, and it should, because the etymology of synergy is from Latin and then Greek, sunergoi, which means ergos is the idea of work. You might be familiar with the term ergonomics, right? Ergoi is the idea of work. Soon is a prefix. We, we use sin, S-Y-N. We use that in the English. It means with. Literally, this means to work with or to work together. Sunergoi. That's where we get the word underneath. Collaborate. They both mean the same thing. Now, in English, it's come to mean more than that. Like, if you say our team has got good synergy, that means we have good chemistry, right? We don't just work together. We work well together. That's synergy, right? A good, a good sports team, if they have good synergy, they, they're going to go farther than they would based on their talent. Because synergy causes talent to increase. It causes a team to do better than it should. This is true also in, in, in the gospel, is that no matter the, the amount of gifts, when we work in synergy, we have enough. So this is what's interesting when I read this other part, and I'm not digging into this today, but God talks uh, or through the Apostle Paul about these, these gifts, and I don't think it's meant to be comprehensive, but he gives a list of these, and that, that you know some have the gifts of, of evangelism and preaching and pastoring and shepherding, and there's this five-fold gifting there, and it's meant to equip the saints. And I, it's my understanding that Christ has given every church that. So that when I look around the room, even though I know, okay, I lack in some areas. I, I, I'm not the greatest at everything. God just didn't give me all those talents, you know. I, I'm getting better as a preacher, I think. I'm trying harder as a shepherd, as a pastor. But there's some things in there that we need. And I recognize that in every church, God has granted those gifts. And that we need to look around, we need to look side to side and go, okay, where, where are we applying what God has given and that the synergy is to look around and go, okay, every single person in this room, God has gifted in some way. And that when we work together, we can do things we could never imagine. That I could never dream. Because I don't have those talents. But when I notice you do, I go, wait a minute. Hold up. We can take that hill. That hill I thought I couldn't climb? We can do it. Synergy. Collaborate. Work together. Here's an example, and you may have heard this before. This was a bit of an aha for me this week, maybe because I just don't know as much as you, but there you go. That there's these Belgian draft horses, okay? Bear with me for a moment. A singular Belgian draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. Now, that's ridiculous, okay? First of all, I've been hitting the gym lately. That's a number that explodes my brain, all right? 8,000 pounds is a ton. When you put two of them together, how much weight do you think they can pull? That was a good guess, whoever said 20. You would think mathematically it would be 16,000, right? 8 plus 8, 16. Those of you got that, right? No, it's 24,000. You put two together and it gets exponential. When in the world does 1 plus 1 equal 3? When you collaborate. I would argue in the church, 
one plus one always equals three. Because in Ecclesiastes it says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're always in a three-strand relationship here because the Holy Spirit is with us. One plus one equals three. What would it look like to have a church with that kind of synergy? That recognizes it has the same mission. Now, it has to start here. It has to start with us first saying, all right, we have a shared mission as believers. But then it has to go immediately out of these doors. Because guess what you're going to do at around noon? You're going to walk out. I am too because I'm hungry, right? We're going to go and we're going we're gonna to make disciples or we're going to go do other things, but we're going, right? And we have this shared mission. So the question is now, okay, who am I bumping into out in the city? Well, I'm bumping in to people who don't believe, but I'm also bumping into fellow believers. And how am I interacting with them? Some of the sweetest moments I think you're going to have in your workplace is to find someone else who has similar belief to you. Maybe you, maybe you disagree on some of the particulars. And this is where we get hung up, like, oh, yeah, I mean, over there, such and such. He goes, he goes to that other church around on the other side of town, and, you know, they're into some wild stuff over there. Can you, can you like, delete all that and just figure this out? Figure this out with this coworker, this fellow believer, and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, died on the cross, resurrected from the grave? Yes. We're, on, we're having a good start. We're having a really good start, all right? Do you believe that we should be a part of the mission of God and reaching the lost? Yes. That's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear. Now, we might disagree on baptism. We might disagree on all these different essentials. And there are things that I find essential. Don't hear me say that. But when it comes to the mission of God, there's only a few things that matter. The gospel and how we deliver it. Some of the sweetest moments I ever had in the workplace were... I could have lunch with another believer who didn't go to my church and say, okay, such and such that we're working with every day, guess what she asked me about today? Oh, really? We should pray about that. We should figure out where God is leading us. Something sweet started happening. Now, everybody in that place knew I was going to seminary. I was like, the Billy Graham of the workplace, I guess. Clients would come in. You're the seminary student, right? And I, I didn't even, I was supposed to be counting pills. I worked as a, as a pharmacy technician. I spent half my days over in this other corner counseling people. It started off like, I need to talk to you about how these drugs interact. I'm like, I'm really not the guy for that. There's pharmacists that know stuff. Like, I just count stuff. And I know what drugs do. Now, well, it would start this way and then I'd spend the whole day figuring out that, you know, this person's suffering with some other loss. I'm like, okay, God's preparing me for this. God's up to something. But this sweet thing began to happen where people started coming to Christ. And I'm convinced it wouldn't have happened if I tried it on my own. That something happened when we teamed up. We started doing 24,000 pounds and not just 16. You see what I'm saying? What if you bumped into some neighbors in your neighborhood and you, yeah, I know they go down, they go to the church down the street, but that doesn't matter to me. Nor does it matter to Jesus. And you know what? I'm not sure any of us at any church are getting everything right. I got a feeling we're all going to get to heaven one day and go, oh, I was a little off on that one. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's one church in the, in the nation that's they're getting it perfect. I'm not sure. But we are trying to follow His Word. Same mission, both individually and corporately. Now here's the second thing, and this should drive you, because He has prepared us for the same destiny. 
He's prepared us for the same mission and now the same destiny. This is what he's talking about in verse 24. In fact, it, it's kind of unusual how he's saying this. He prays, look again at verse 24. He says, I desire that they will be with me also. Well, they're, they're sitting there. <laughs> this is probably right outside the Garden of Gethsemane. It's on the way or it's in the garden already. Because in chapter 18, he's about to be betrayed. So chronologically, this seems to be where it's falling. The Lord's Supper's already happened, the final supper. They're on the way to the garden. He's praying with his disciples. And now he prays, at least in hearing of John, because John's recording it. So it's either in the garden or it's on the way. He's praying. And he prays this, I pray that they would be with me and see me in my glory. I imagine when they're hearing this, the disciples, they're thinking, well, we are with you. And I don't know what you mean by see you in your glory. I don't know what you mean by that. I believe he's praying here for something future. The glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. That one day a time is coming and it's already come for the disciples where they're seeing Jesus in his resurrected state. In the glory that he has had since the foundation of the world. Since all time. The Alpha and the Omega. This kind of glory. And he's praying for his disciples. And he's praying that over us too as we see in verse 20. That those who will believe would see this. So this is what's really cool about the gospel, no matter where you fall on some of these secondary or even tertiary kind of things within the faith, that the primary thing is that we are all destined to see Jesus. We are all destined to heaven. If we believe in Christ Jesus for salvation, He is our Lord and Savior. He died on the cross. He resurrected for our sake. We believe that. That is the nugget of the gospel. We have the same destiny. And if that's true then we're on the same kind of trajectory, right? Like our paths are kind of lining up in a similar sort of way. Same mission, same destination. And that this starts to make us really long to unify. Really, in a roundabout way, we need to start preparing for heaven now. I know that might sound totally crazy to you, but I don't think it is. I've said this before at church, like when we really get into worship or something, and I don't know, maybe you're feeling a sense of staleness. Maybe it happens a lot to you. You just feel stale. You feel like the passion's gone. I feel like that's a piece we've got to really work out in Christ Jesus because heaven is going to be a place of worship. <laughs> he designed us for that very purpose. Now, when you remove sin from the equation, I think a lot of us are going to get unstale real quick. But this other idea of unity, I would, I would stretch you for just a moment. Think about, think about some brothers and sisters in Christ that you ain't getting along with so good lately. Or maybe you haven't gotten along with for a long time. You know you're going to see them in heaven? Eternity seems like a long time. It seems like a long time to me. And maybe we'll work out, I'm sure we won't work out every little detail of great hurt in this life and it'll all be, it'll be mended in, in eternity, but I think we need to be working on it now. That unity starts today. And that as we're aware of our eternal destination, we're aware of all the different people we need to forgive or ask for forgiveness. All the various different people we need to find unity with. This future place with Jesus He's preparing for us even now. 
I'm all in the book of John today. Here we are in John chapter 14. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He, he's been preparing a place for a while for some of us. I mean, I'm excited to see what that's going to be like. This destiny is, is in preparation for each and every one of us. And he says, look to that. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. It says, this light momentary affliction, and no matter what it is you're facing in your life right now, it might seem like a lot more than light and momentary. But in comparison to heaven, it is brief. It is a snap of a finger. He says, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Look, as believers, we have the same destiny. Therefore, we need to be working together to prepare others for this glorious destination. Here's the last, and I wanted to save some time for this. Because He has made us members of the same family. He's made us members of the same family. Same mission. I think you can remember this maybe, church. I got a good feeling. You are smart. Same mission. Same destiny. Same family. This is why we work together. Because as Christians, we do these things in common. Same family. I know one thing about family is that sometimes there's friction. I grew up with a brother and a sister. I'm now raising a family of a boy and three girls. It is constant friction. I don't think they like each other very much right now. I'm prayerful for them. Y'all pray for my kids. Um, someone recently complimented them and said, you know, y'all get along really well. You play well together. And I said, were you high? Like, <laughs> you missed it. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just, what's wrong with me? I don't know. But I'm seeing constant bickering and I don't remember it so well, but I'm sure me and my brother and sister were similar. It's funny how you remember things, you know, because I think now about how much I love them and I care for them. And yeah, sometimes even now they frustrate me. But I don't know. I guess time does mend some old hurts. But family has friction, but it's still family. This is kind of what we see not only as individuals, but corporately as believers, is that sometimes we, we create friction. And sometimes we allow that friction to, to drive us away from the same mission, that somehow we get off course. And part of the call of this particular prayer from Christ is that we wouldn't get off course. That no matter the pain, no matter the friction, that we could come back and say, you know what? But we're still on the same work together. So we gotta we gotta we gotta link arms again. We gotta look, we gotta overlook wrong, we gotta, we gotta have an, an unconditional kind of love. And that's what he says in verse 23 and then in verse 26. And he says it extremely clear in 26. Like if you missed it, this is what he said. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, that is the Father has loved the Son, which just so you know, is an incredible, unconditional, all-powerful kind of agape love. That kind of love may be in them. That is us. Agape. 
A word that we like to throw around church like we're cool or something. It, it means unconditional, grace-filled, unmerited favor kind of love. The kind of love that loves in spite of wrongdoing. And it's really hard for us to, you know, we, come, we, you know, we really have genuine love as a church and then something hits the fan and all of a sudden we're tested and we find out, you know what? We don't like each other very much. This is the kind of love that can withstand pressure. This is familial kind of love if you have a good family. Some of you didn't experience this to, to some degree, but what kept my family together, I think, was more than blood. It was Christ. And over time, even under great deals of pressure and many fights, and I lost a lot of them. My brother's three years older than me. I'm bigger than him now. I don't think he wants any now. I'm just putting that out there, but... We would, I remember the last time we almost fought. I was, I was 17 or 18. He's 20, 21. I'm about three inches taller than him now at this point. And my, there's, my hallway in my bedroom has got this angle to it. I've gotten so tall at this point that my head is kind of leaning against the angle of this thing. And we were about to fight in my old bedroom. And it's like we had the same thought at the same time. We looked at each other and thought, okay, this one is going to hurt. This one's legit going to hurt because we were about to go to blows over who knows what. Something stupid, I'm sure. That was the last almost fight we had. We never tried anything since. Every once in a while, we'll bicker a little bit, but it's pretty rare. But pressure over time in Christ has actually developed something greater because there was love. Love in Christ Jesus. And that's the kind of love we can have in this church, the kind of love we can certainly have in believers in our city and with the other churches in our town. He mentions this kind of love four times here. And he says this is the kind of love that makes it known to the world. And this is this idea of now we've been, not only we know God, but we're known by God. Not only are we loved by God, but we can love God. That in Christ Jesus, we know now what it looks like to really love God. This is something they had missed for thousands of years. It's like, do we love God through our work? Do we love God through the sacrificial system? How do we find the love in the law? And then Christ has fulfilled it and we have love because we can understand sacrifice better than they could before. This is the glory of, of the Christian gospel. Is that not only are we loved, but we can know love, real love, and know God and Him know us. What does that mean? That means we're family. And if you miss that, it's a biblical theme either way. In Ephesians chapter 1, God says that He decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. I mean, this is incredible news. If you showed up in this place today, I don't care what sort of family you had. Maybe it was great. Maybe it wasn't so great. I don't care what kind of baggage you're bringing in this place. This is the same word to you, friend, no matter how you showed up. That God wanted you as His son or daughter. And it gave Him great pleasure. This is the wild thing about the cross. In fact, another epistle says... That, that, that Jesus took on the cross, scorning its shame so that we might be free. It gave Him pleasure to do it. <laughs> My privilege to sacrifice for you, essentially, is what the Gospels teach. Because He loves us that much. 
That is incredible news. I don't think we should be getting over that news. Uh, I think that should be the news that's really driving us to same mission, to same family. The reason we can overlook each other's wrongs is because we know how wrong we were. Until we really get to that point, I think, and I'm giving you a lot of sidebar suggestions today, but I think there's some truth to this, that what's really underneath a lot of our unforgiveness is our pride. Is we think maybe a little too highly of ourselves without recognition that we have been forgiven much. And if we've been forgiven much, we can forgive much. That's love. A love that overlooks wrongdoing. And sometimes, church, if you're in hearing today, here's the really bad news. Sometimes you got to be the bigger man or, or woman. Sometimes the other party is a believer. And for whatever reason, they won't forgive or be forgiven. And yet it doesn't change your call, does it? Not even one bit. You're called to love. Division and competition, that's very worldly, and that's really far against the gospel. This, just so you know, isn't a new thing. <laughs> the idea of competition among churches goes all the way back to Paul's day. Isn't that wild? It's been happening a long time. And we've gotten really divided over a lot of things that aren't super important. They were already getting divided. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes, One of you says, I'm a follower of Paul. And another says, Well, I'm a follower of Apollos. Aren't you all acting like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you have believed in the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. For we are both God's fellow workers, sunergoi, co-laborers. What's he saying? It makes no difference to me whether or not you got saved at this church or some other church or whether this is the place where you finally reached Christian, some sense of Christian maturity. It makes no difference to me. Why? Because it's all God's work. Which means for us to really accomplish the task of gospel saturation in our community, we need all healthy churches active. That means we don't look and say, well, you know, we need to really get into church planning. Yes! We need to get really into church revitalization. Yes. We need to really get serious about uh, getting along with our co-workers in the gospel. Yes, we need all of this because it's a, big, it's a big task. It's a huge task. I want to end with a thought. <laughs> a thought since it's about to be Independence Day and, you know, I was once a soldier and so I get... I get a little america up, okay? You do what you want. You know, leave me alone about me wanting to get america up. I'm going to be rolling out to Inglewood Baptist tomorrow because they put on a huge show. I might see some of you. If you see me, let's bump it. Let's go get funnel cakes together. I'm down for that. Let's, let's fatten up, watch some shots go off. But, and I'll probably be very, very red, white, and blue tomorrow. So deal with that. But I learned some things in my 10 years of service, and that is... We're really good at picking on each other. Like really good at it. One of my favorite phrases, and you've heard me say it before, and if this you know, hurts your ears, um, I guess plug them. I don't know what to tell you. But this phrase, I've kind of lived it out <laughs> since because I just love it. And even though it sounds kind of some way, but embrace the suck. All right? I know that sounds weird. 
But I heard it all the time. Embrace the suck. Oh, we're down in the mud. Embrace it. And I found that the more I embraced it, the more I sickly kind of liked it. Kind of weird. And now when I go to the gym, I purposely do things to hurt myself. Because I just need to, I just need some suck in my life. I just need it. I know it's crazy. Some of y'all think I'm nuts, but you know, I'm broken at this point. Ten years I'm broken. And what I found out the longer I was in is that different branches view embracing the suck very differently. Now for the army, I'll give you a few examples. You're gonna love this. Who who are my veterans in the room? Any any vets? I got anybody army? Army? Navy? Are you Army? Avery, what were you? Well, y'all gonna love this then. (laughs) I don't have any Air Force in here because this is great. All right, all right, cool. All right, for Air Force Online. Um, So embracing the suck, here's the different ways we come at it. An Army grunt stands in the rain during a storm with a pack on his back, weapon in hand, having marched 15 miles, and he says, you know, this sucks. A Marine lies in the mud, pack on his back, weapon in hand, after swimming to shore, crawling through the swamp, and somehow biting the head of a snake, and says, this really sucks, but I wish it would suck more. A naval officer sips his coffee, eats a donut on the bridge of the ship as it's raining outside on the shore, and he says, sure does look like it sucks over there. (laughs) However, an Air Force pilot sits on his easy chair in his air conditioning during that storm and says to his friend, man, the cable's out. This really sucks. (laughs) It's a joke, but there's a hint of truth to it. I'm just putting that out there. You know what war does, though? It makes us family. I've never, ever heard a single person say, man, I wish the Marines hadn't showed up when it's war. In fact, I would say when those Air Force jets fly over, when you've called in a strike, it is like the greatest moment. I never experienced it, but I would imagine when you're under fire and those pilots fly screaming by and handle their business for you, you are thankful. Well, can I argue something, church? I believe we have been at war for a long time. And the war is different than maybe you think. It's more of a spiritual one. And as Jesus puts it, our, our, our conflict is not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual things. And it takes every one of us to work seamlessly together to experience the freedom of Christ Jesus, to experience the gospel. It's okay if once in a while we have some friction. It's okay if we pick on each other a little bit from time to time. If you know me at all, that's a way I show love. I hope it doesn't hurt you. If I realize and recognize that it hurts you, I'll stop. I'm not really discerning though, so let me know. Hey, Jonathan, stop picking on me all the time, okay? It's a way I show affection. I know it's weird. When we work together seamlessly like this, we're always thankful to see one another. Here's how I want to finish the charge to you and with a few questions. Are you thankful when you see the success of another church in town? Are you thankful when you hear that they've grown exponentially over the last few years? Are you thankful when that person you've been inviting to church for months finally goes to church, goes to church, but not your church? 
Are you thankful over time and time again? You know, there was this person you've spent hours and hours with trying to lead to faith and they call you up some years later and go, you'll never believe it. I accepted Christ Jesus. And it happened at such and such. You wouldn't believe what this person told me. And this is the part where you might feel competitive. You wouldn't believe. They told me the gospel so clearly, you know, and it made sense. I'm like, I literally said that exact same to you four years ago. But instead of doing that, you're truly thankful. Because you're okay with the fact that maybe you planted and someone else watered. There's this scale we could work off of. It's called the Ingalls scale. That people come into this life at what you might call a negative 10. If you look at the scale from negative 10 to zero. And that maybe your job is to just move them to a negative nine. They hate Christians just a little bit less. They like God just a little bit more. And then 10 years from now, they call you and say, you wouldn't believe. And they reached zero and it took dozens of people, dozens of church ministries to bring that person to faith. Are you thankful for that? This might sound bad, church. This is something I, I have been working on. Because in my heart, I've not been thankful. In my heart, I go, God, but why not me? In my heart, I look around and go, God, why can't we fill our room up? I'd love to buy more chairs. The fire code says we can fit like 180 in here. I'm not sure about that. I think it'd be pretty tight. But let's do it. Like, that'd be great. And yet, maybe God has a much better plan that we could be some sort of piece of this catalyst that's igniting in our city and people are going to churches all over town. Cool. Great. I want to be a part of that. And I want to change my mind. I pray for you too, friend. Find those co-workers. Find those neighbors who have like faith. And take your neighborhoods together. We have the same mission, the same destiny, and guess what? Same family. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that You are a God who calls us to these things. You call us there by Your love. I've been given a lot of different missions in this life, Lord. A lot of different people have given me jobs and different purposes over time. But You give me one in a way that no one else else really has, and that is you put it, You model it first. You call me to do the thing You did first. And that's what's great about this Gospel. That's what's great about this faith that's, that sets it apart from every other, I, I believe. And that is, God, You loved us enough to sacrifice. You loved us more than we can really even understand. Beyond our brokenness, beyond our sin, beyond our guilt, You loved us in spite of all of that stuff. And it gave You great pleasure. You wanted to do it. That's amazing. And you call me now not only to be adopted into this family, but to be an active member of the family with the same mission as my brothers and sisters in the faith, as my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's incredible. I'm prayerful today for the church, for this congregation sitting here today, for myself certainly, that we would recognize God where you're moving already. Maybe it's happening in this place among these people. Maybe it's happening down the street somewhere. Help us to see, God, where you're already on the move. 
that we can co-labor, collaborate with other believers in our city. God, would you do something only you can do? God, would you please do something only you can do and reach our neighborhoods? All I ever hear outside of this place, all I ever hear is how bad it is. How, how broken it is. How the people are divided. How there's nowhere to work. There's, it's just negative upon negative. I hear it all the time. And yet, God, you're doing something different. You're doing something different in us individually, but you're doing something in the city, and I want to be a part of it. And this church, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing, God, to change the narrative that we'd be known as a city filled with love. And that's only going to happen if, the love, if your love pours out in us and through us. That's only going to happen that way. So, Lord, I'm prayerful for that. Use us as individuals. I'm prayerful for each and every one of us sitting here. We're, we're in different neighborhoods all over this town and surrounding towns, Lord. What, a, what various impact you have already set aside for us. I'm praying right now just for my neighbors and my little cul-de-sac. Lord, would you give me opportunities? But more than that, would you help me to stop missing opportunities? Open up my eyes. I pray you do that in my people, this congregation, this church. I'm praying for these little neighborhood boys that keep showing up to my house that I find extremely frustrating. And that's the wrong approach. Why does the gospel feel inconvenient to me sometimes? I'm, I'm, I'm repentant of that. God the Father, would you please... Grant me power and boldness and courage and energy to stop seeing gospel opportunities as, as inconveniences. I'm sorry for that, Lord. I pray you do that in each and every one of us. Give us boldness in our workplaces. Help us to stand out and be different. Help us to be the kind of church that's united in love and that the world would see it. You've promised it in this prayer, Lord. I pray it occurs that the, this city will know us by our love for one another. Dear friend, maybe you showed up this morning and you want to be a part of what God is doing, but you recognize you've not said yes to the gospel. It's been mentioned a few times today and maybe you've heard it before. Maybe, maybe this is the first time you're really getting it. Um, maybe something unique is happening today where the Lord is really leading you toward, towards Himself. The Holy Spirit does that in each and every one of us all the time. If that's you today, you're ready to say yes to the gospel. You believe today and you want to be a part of God, what God is doing in your life and in this town. Please pray with me. As Paul wrote in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. If that's you today, dear friend, pr please just pray along with me this simple prayer of confession. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I've made mistakes. I understand that. But Jesus, I believe You died on the cross for my sake. You hung my sin, my guilt, my shame. It has been paid for on the cross. I believe that today. And God, I believe that You raised Jesus from the grave. And that gives me a great deal of hope. I believe in the cross and the resurrection. And because of that, Jesus, I'm making You Lord of my life that I will follow your lead and your call. Friend, if you prayed that with me, welcome to the same family of God.
And we share with you in this same mission. God, help us to be lighthouses in our city and our community. We love you. Empower us to do this mission that you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.